are so grateful that you are joining with us on our podcast. We exist to lead the people of the valley to be more like Jesus. We are a church here in Salt Lake City, and we invite you to connect online at lifechurchutah.com. We hope you enjoy this message. Good day. It is a good day. So thankful for each one of you for being here. And uh, those of you, thank you for joining us online as well. It's great to have you uh, hanging out with us today. I heard from somebody right before service said, hey, I'm not feeling well, but I'm catching you guys online uh, for the service. And I love having that option. And so it's really great to have each one of you online as well. So I got a big question uh, for you today. What will heaven be like? What will heaven be like? be like. I'm thinking Belinda Carlisle right now, if anybody remembers. Okay, that's fine. The 80s reference, nobody got it. That's fine. That's fine. It is surprising how the Bible handles the subject um, of the information of what heaven will be like, because as we read through the Bible, it appears there's not a ton of information. Now, there's information, don't get me wrong, and we're going to talk through some of that today, um, but it's not super complete. We have glimpses of what heaven might be like for us through the Old and the New Testaments. And we look at original creation, and we see this apparent unity of creation and in, in this purpose and wholeness, and humanity is this crowning act of God himself on this planet and creation. Uh, but it's only a short time before that separation happens, and the perfection that we see in the Garden of Eden, that th- those first stages of creation, uh, and that is all apparently a, a very distant memory very, very quickly. So we see throughout history the rise and fall of nations and peoples and tragedies that unfold through natural disasters. This entire world is affected by the reality that um, this creation is given to disintegration, right? Peacelessness, and and in many ways, a hopelessness that sets in. So what will heaven be like, right? When we look around this world and we see all the brokenness, what will heaven be like? Certainly better than this, right? <laughs> Certainly better than this. When I was a kid, and may- maybe you are like me as a kid, um, uh, the, the times that I thought about heaven, now it comes from the context of the 80s, and uh, so sometimes the 80s context of heaven might be a little bit different than uh, sometimes even a biblical worldview of what, of what heaven is, but uh, in my mind as a little kid, and this would be like an early teenager, it was... Um, and well, by the time I was about 16 or so, I had my first Ford Bronco. And so in, in my mind, heaven was being able to drive that and not run out of gas, right? And not break anything. I mean, that was heaven. That is what I wanted. Other visions of heaven as a kid were uh, you got the wings on you. You know, somehow we'd become angelic in that sense. We'd have wings and then we could go anywhere we want. We could fly around and speed of thought be anywhere in the universe. And, you know, I mean, it's just kind of this weird idea of what heaven is. And um, sorry to say, I'm not sure heaven is going to have a Ford Bronco in it. I'm not real sure. Although that'd be really cool, Lord, if that was the, uh, that was the case. Um, so don't get me wrong um, in what I'm going to say next is heaven going to be an eternity of singing right because yes yes it is because there are some of you for whom right now an eternity of singing might not be the greatest appeal in your life anybody you're going God something's got to change pretty dramatically in the way that I sing for me to enjoy and for you God to enjoy my singing for an eternity Uh, I'm not sure I'm up for that either so obviously we're looking from this side 
right, where, where sin nature is part of who we are and part of what has happened in the world around us. So, so we're, we're trying to answer a question that for us seems to be unanswerable because we have no, no conceptual way to get past the fact that we are broken and everything that we see through a lens, we, we see everything, as, as uh, Paul says in, an, in another book, he, we, we see through it darkly. We see through this glass uh, darkly, um, and we don't have a great picture of what heaven is going to be necessarily. Um, but one thing we know, one thing we know is that there is heaven, <laughs> right? That is a promise from the word of God, which we believe and hold on to, that there is a heaven. There's something beyond now. And we know it's uh, vastly different and far more than we, we could ever uh, truly grasp. Uh, Revelation chapter 7 says this, verse 15 through 17, the context of this. Um, well, it says, And he who sits on the throne will dwell among them. They shall neither hunger anymore nor thirst anymore. The sun shall not strike them nor any heat, for the Lamb who is in the midst of the throne will shepherd them and lead them to living fountains of water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. How many of you are ready for every tear to be wiped away, right, from the grief and sorrow that we have? Revelation 22, uh, verse 4 and 5, they shall see his face and his name shall be on their foreheads. There shall be no night there. They shall need no lamp nor light of the sun for the Lord God gives them light and they shall reign forever and ever. So we have this picture of where sorrow is taken away, tears away. There's a, a sense of reigning and responsibility alongside of God in heaven. And finally from Isaiah in the Old Testament, says this, Isaiah 65, for look, I am ready to create, and this is God speaking, for look, I am ready to create new heavens and a new earth. The former ones will not be remembered, nor uh, no one will think about them anymore. So there's this idea that there is something that is coming that is far off from us uh, right now. Or some, some days it feels really far off. Other days it's like, all right, Jesus, you got one minute to come back because we are done with this world, right? Um. The things that mark our existence now, the hunger, the thirst, the desiring, dealing with sickness and suffering, experiencing grief, recovering from the impact of sin all around us, defining us, all of this will be changed. All of this will be different. We'll be whole and complete. The Bible says not lacking anything. God will be with us without hindrance of sin's effects. That's what I'm looking forward to, right? That's what I'm looking forward to. But not yet. Not yet. The time has not come. This is the, the not yet part of our Christian faith. We have a now part and we have a not yet. And this is, this is the not yet. Heaven, um, despite Belinda Carlisle, heaven is not a place here on earth, okay? Um, and this aspect of being a Christian, um, how do we wrestle with this idea of being caught in the middle? Right? Because we come to faith in Christ and we are made new. Right, the, the old is gone, the new has come. We have all of this language throughout the New Testament. And even Paul talks about this in the book of Romans. And this is where we're going uh, today with this. Uh, Paul talks about this idea that, that even though we, we are in the midst of, of something that is corruptible and broken, we still can experience bits and pieces of what is to come, but we're caught in this tension. And so we live in tension and there is no way around it. We live in the now, 
and in the not yet. We live in this place, and that's what makes us uncomfortable at times. This is what we feel this. For those who are not following Christ, for many, many people, this is all that there is. Right? This is it. There's no hope beyond the grave. There's no sense of anything beyond this, no sense of responsibility for the actions that we do now. And so this life is it. But for the Christian, we, we are caught in this weird tension, and it makes us uncomfortable because we talk about the things now and how it should be, realizing it's not going to be that way, and yet we have something we look forward to, and so we are caught in the middle of this. Last week, we discovered that our identity is as adopted children of God, as the sons and the daughters of God. I want to remind you, by the way, if ever you miss a week, uh, you don't have to miss a week because you can go online and Facebook, YouTube, you can find uh, the messages there and all of that. And so never, never fear. If uh, you want to find out what was said last week, you can go to, uh, to last week. Um, and then uh, also, before I go any further, I want to remind you uh, that we do have uh, our presence on the Bible app. Yep, I'm going to talk about this again and again and again. Um, so the Bible app, uh, if you go to, um, go to the, Bible, uh, the Bible store, I, well, there is probably a Bible store somewhere. If you go to the app store or go to Google Play, go on there, download the Bible app, and it looks like that, that uh, icon there the holy, that says Holy Bible, and you download that. Once you register on the bottom right-hand corner or three little dots, click on that, you'll see events. Then you can find Life Church. All the notes are there. All the scriptures are there. And uh, so, just an easy way for you to get connected. And so, last week we discovered that our identity is that of adopted children of God. We are the sons and the daughters in the family of God with full rights as sons and daughters. And there is the sense of inheritance that we have that the Bible talks about. That it's not just becoming sons and daughters, but there is something beyond this life, and that's the inheritance. Uh, but what is this inheritance? Is it glory? Is it heaven? Is it eternity with Christ? Yes. But there's something that Paul said last week I didn't really hit on because I knew where we were going this week. And picking up from the end of last week, this is what Romans chapter 8, verse 17 says. And if we are children, remember, you know, the Spirit witnesses that we are the sons and daughters of God. So and if we are children, then heirs, namely heirs of God and also fellow heirs with Christ. Then he says this. If indeed we suffer with him, so that, or so we may also be glorified with him. Suffering. Suffering. Paul indicates here that suffering is part of our reality. Um, doesn't sound like much fun. If you remember a couple of weeks ago, uh, and, I'm, and I'm sure all of you remember uh, everything that's ever said from the pulpit here at Life Church. I'm just excited about that. Everybody remembers everything, right? Paul was quite open a number of, a couple of months ago when we talked about this in uh, Romans chapter 5. Um, Paul was talking about this and he was quite open about the idea that, it, that this journey of life includes suffering. Even if you are loving Jesus and giving him every bit of your life and all of that, suffering is just part of the human condition. And Paul's saying it's okay. Paul's saying this is not something that, that you should not expect, that it's part of, uh, part of life. In fact, Paul's point is ultimately that if Jesus suffered, what makes us think that we also won't suffer? Not the best thing to focus on if we want people to come back to church, <laughs> right? But it's reality, right? This is, we, we deal with this. This is our life. But this reality stares at us from our waking moments to when we lay our heads down. There's this idea in the back of our, of our minds, and hopefully 
this isn't all there is. Right? God, this can't be it. There's, there's got to be more. Philippians chapter 3, verse 10 and 11 says, The righteousness, and this is Paul talking to a church in Philippi, says, The righteousness that I have, right? In, in uh, Romans, he talks a lot about righteousness, right? But in this, in this passage, the righteousness that I have comes from knowing Christ. The power of his resurrection. This is, we focus on this as believers, right? Man, the power that we receive as believers. But then he goes on, and the participation in his sufferings. It includes being conformed to his death so that I may perhaps reach the goal of the resurrection of the dead. Paul's very open with the fact that bad things happen in this life. Now, Jesus' journey is a picture of our own. It includes and embraces suffering in this world. The difficulties are simply part of this journey. It's an expected happening. It's unavoidable, but it's not all that there is to expect out of this life. Okay, so I've got to be uh, really careful here that we don't go, yep, life is going to be horrible. (laughs) Nothing you can do about it, so just get used to it. Okay, that's not at all what Paul is saying either. So Paul continues in Romans chapter 8, and this is where we pick up uh, this week. He says, for I consider, remember he had just talked about the sufferings, right? He says, for I consider that our present sufferings cannot even be compared to the glory that will be revealed to us. There is something beyond this life. For the creation eagerly uh, eagerly waits for the revelation of the sons of God, For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of God who subjected it in hope, right? So there's this idea, even in the middle of suffering, even in the idea of frustration in this world, there is hope that God is seeing. So in hope that the creation itself will also be set free from the bondage of decay into the glorious freedom of God's children. For we know that the whole creation groans and suffers together until now. Not only this... But we ourselves also, suffering and groaning, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan inwardly as we eagerly await our adoption, the redemption of our bodies. So there's something going on in this world around us, and Paul is starting to put his finger on it and how central we as followers of Christ are to this picture of creation. So our present sufferings are not worth comparing to what's to, uh, to, what's to come. I love that Paul is real about this. The suffering here is not just the suffering for Christ's sake. Now, Paul talks a lot about this idea um, in other letters where he's like, you know, uh, you're, you're witness for Christ, you're telling people about Jesus, there's a suffering that goes along with it called persecution or you're being uh, sidelined or you get passed up on, um, on a, uh, some sort of recommendation at your work or uh, some sort of promotion because you're outspoken about your faith. And so there's a suffering on that side, but Paul here again, just like he was earlier, is talking about all of human suffering, certainly part of this world in which we live. We all experience suffering in one way or another. The fallen nature of the world has sickness and cancers and bad backs and unfair business practices, abuse, violence, runaways, prodigal sons and daughters, addictions, earthquakes and floods, volcanoes, tornadoes, all of these happen to the righteous and the unrighteous. This is the now. This is, this is where we are now. But Paul puts all of these in redemptive perspective. There's something redeeming about suffering. 
It's very strange to think about it that way. For those in Jesus, for those as part of the family of God, adopted to the intimate presence of God through the power of the Holy Spirit, there is something beyond this life, beyond these suffering moments, and that which will be revealed at a later time, this glory that will be revealed is the not yet part of our faith. Will be far more than any of the sufferings that we endure this side. Which lets me know that the unbearable heartache that some of you have endured, the incredible grief, and certainly over these past couple of years, we've all felt that and sensed that within us. Some of, some of that is uh, psychological grief, right? Just the, the isolation that many of you have felt and that anxiety that is built up within us. The pain that we experience now, the glory that will be revealed will one day heal all of it and more, right? It's not even worth comparing to the glory that will happen. So Paul says in another letter that he wrote uh, to, uh, um, to the Corinthian church, he says, for our momentary light suffering is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison because we are not looking at what can be seen, but at what cannot be seen. He goes on, he says, for what can be seen is temporary, but what cannot be seen is eternal. So I think Paul is wanting to challenge us in how we're viewing this world around us. Because the stuff that can be seen, all of this is temporary. It's temporary. This is not all that there is. But there is something that is unseen beyond this world. That is what Paul says we've got to get our eyes fixed upon. We know this world is fading away. One day it will be changed, just as we know we will be changed as well. But Paul does something interesting in this passage that we read. He recognizes that creation itself, okay, the non-human parts of creation, they feel this as well. There's a, a frustration even within all of creation that's just not right. Now, when Paul is using this, by the way, He's not going down the road of some mother nature uh, kind of feeling, okay? This is, uh, this is called metaphor <laughs> at this point. Um, there's not like a, a sentience to creation itself. But Paul is personifying this to prove a point, that what, what happened in the fall, in the Garden of Eden in Genesis chapter 1, didn't just affect humanity. It affected everything. Uh, the James Webb Space Telescope is out there what is a million kilometers away? I use kilometers because I can't remember how many miles that is. That'd be, I guess, 600,000 miles doing quick math in my head. <laughs> right? Okay, so it's way out there, floating around, okay, the L2 point, right? For those of you who are science nerds, ah, yes, I love it. So it's going to open up its eyes and be able to see this, you know, through the telescope, see way back and see all of these incredible things. But everything that the James Webb Space Telescope sees is corrupted by sin. Everything, all of creation, the Bible says, it said, right, what we've read, all of creation is frustrated because of what happened in the garden. All we see to the deepest recesses of space have, have been influenced. Everything that we see on this earth has been influenced by sin. It's not as it was intended to be, but there's something going on behind the scenes. There is hope, right? There is hope. Even at the very, very beginning, right after the fall, God gave a glimpse of hope for creation. 
says that creation waits in eager expectation. There's this idea that the world around us is waiting for us as the children of God to be revealed. Waiting for us as the children of God to take our place within creation in a proper way. The decisions that we make have a material impact on our created world. So does God really care about all of creation? Does God really care about all of that? I would say he does. Um, Genesis chapter 9. This is pretty fascinating when we, when we look at this, because uh, we often think the covenants that God makes are with humanity, right? The covenants that God makes are with us as people. And yet, take a look at right after the flood, God makes a covenant. Well, let's just read it. God said to Noah and his sons, he says, look, I now confirm my covenant with you and your descendants after you. And then what does he say? And with every living creature that is with you, including the birds, domestic animals, every kind of living creature of, of the earth with you, all those that came out of the ark with you, every living creature of the earth. Then he goes on, the covenant I'm making with you and every living creature with you. And then he goes on, a guarantee of the covenant between me and the earth. Then he goes on, perpetual covenant between God and all living creatures of all kinds that are on the earth. Does God care about our creation? Yeah. Does God care about my really old dog? Yes. <laughs> Remember the original command that God gave to Adam and to Eve. To partner with God in creation. To work alongside to reveal God in creation. This hasn't gone away. Do you realize that? This has not gone away. The covenant that God made back then still stands to this day. And one of the things that we've got to realize is that your work matters to God. The things you do with your hands, the things you do with your mind, the things that you do, right, matters to God. Creation is eager for wholeness. Your coworker is eager for wholeness more <laughs> There's this idea that our work matters. You're in the service industry. Let Jesus shine through you. You're working on the factory line somewhere. Let, let Christ be revealed in how you are on that factory line. You work at UPS. My son works at UPS, right? My son is a light for Jesus at UPS. Are you a nurse? Partner with God in the healing of those who come to you for care, right? You, you're a barber. I just got my haircut yesterday. If you're a barber, right, uh, you, you've got somebody sitting there for half an hour. Let Jesus shine through you. Now, you're not like, you're going to go to hell. Okay, that's not the point, right? That's not, that's not being helpful in the process, right? But there's an opportunity to get to know the people, right? You're a barber. Man, be praying as you're cutting hair for that individual. You're an entrepreneur, you're a teacher, right? Wherever you are, what you do, the work that you do absolutely matters to God because it's in the context of this creation that originally God said, I want you to work alongside me to bring hope to this world. Um, in a couple of weeks on February 26th, uh, and Honestly, this turns out to be a bit of a commercial, and I apologize. It wasn't necessarily supposed to be this way. But uh, we, we are going to be doing something here at Life Church called Work as Worship on February 26th. It's a Saturday morning, like 10 a.m. to 1.30 p.m. And we'd love to have you come be a part of it. It's just an opportunity uh, for you to come and to come alongside others who are just working 
uh, have a job. Maybe you don't have a job and you just want to find a way to bring glory to God through what you're doing. And uh, we'll be gathering together for a couple of hours. We'll have more information next week. We don't have registration this week, but I just wanted to give you a heads up. Your work matters to God. And it's an online uh, little seminar uh, kind of conference retreat thing that we're doing in association with Right Now Media and would love to have you be a part of that. So we'll give you more information about how to register and all of that next week. But your work absolutely matters to God. God wants to partner with us in what we do in this created world today. And there's another uh, insight uh, that Paul gives to us um, uh, in this passage. We feel all of this in the world around us deeply And Paul says the reason why we do, or maybe I'm going to just say this, we should as followers of Christ, is because the Spirit is within us. Right? If you go back to what Paul had said uh, said earlier um, in there, he goes uh, that we uh, we as God's children, uh, it says, for we know that the whole creation groans and suffers together until now. And not only this, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan inwardly because the Spirit of God is within us. We feel this world's problems and hurts and sin and issues. We feel it more deeply because the Spirit of Christ is within us. Because God's heart is broken, ours should be as well. We feel this disconnect because we have the Spirit. And for some of you, you've wondered, why do you feel this so differently? This is why. Because the Spirit of God is within you. There's there's a change and a transformation that happens in how we view the world around us. The Spirit indwelling us as creatures, right? This longing that is within us for what is next. And uh, at the same time, that longing is not to leave this world, but to engage the world. Now, I know sometimes our language, and we, we, we say it tongue-in-cheek, and I even said it earlier in the thing, can't wait till Jesus comes back and takes us out of all this problem, right? Uh, I understand that. I get that. And there's times I've definitely prayed, Jesus, come quickly. But... Barring him come quickly, what does that mean for us? It's got a huge responsibility, folks, that God is partnering with us to bring hope to this world. So many of you, uh, in a great picture of this is a number of, uh, number of, well, a couple of months ago, so many of you gave to one day to feed the world, right? That is a spiritual response, a practical response to the Spirit of God moving on your life to give generously, to be able to help in this creation bringing hope to people that had no hope, right? We, we helped feed, boy, if I remember correctly, it's about fifty to 60,000 kids that we're able to feed for a year because of the giving that was done in this place, right? And I'm so excited about that because we are bringing hope to a world that is broken. And this adoption as sons and daughters while it's complete in the sense that we are saved, right? When we, when we have the spirit of Christ within us by faith, uh, loving Jesus, there's a completeness to the salvation that we experience. But again, it's not complete, right? Because we still struggle with the sin in the world around us. And this is what Paul, um, Paul comes to at this end part here in Romans chapter 8, verse 20, uh, 24 and 25. He says, for in hope... We were saved. Again, right, the, all creation is waiting in hope. And then for us, for in hope we are saved. Now, hope that is seen is not hope. Uh, what he means by this, uh, years ago, when I was uh, uh, just a younger lad and Christmas would come around, um, my parents would hide things in the house. 
of the gifts that they were going to be giving to us. Anybody have parents that would do that? Hide them in the, how many of you parents did that and realize your kids find it every time? So uh, my brother and I, uh, one year, uh, were wrestling in my room, and uh, my mom realized potentially the best place to hide gifts was in my room because of how messy my room was. Okay, my, my room was a disaster. So one day my brother and I are wrestling and he's destroying me, <laughs> as happened because I was smaller than him for a long time. Now I'm bigger than him. Uh, so, uh, but he was a police officer. He knows how to take me down. Um, but um, so he, he was, we were wrestling and he throws me off of my bed and I end up on the floor next to my bed. And uh, what do I see under my bed? except my brother's Burton snowboard, and this was like 1984 or something like that, when it was like the thing, it was brand new, they didn't have snowboarders on the hills, I mean, nothing like that. So there it was. I knew that that gift was there, so what did I do? Told my brother. <laughs> no, I actually didn't, but, uh, but that, right? And so there is that gift. Now, I no longer had any hope for my brother to receive that gift because I knew it was there. My brother was still hoping for it, he did not know it was there, right? Hope that is seen is no hope, right? I knew that that gift was there. For my brother, he still had hope. So Paul is speaking this kind of language. He goes, now hope that is seen is not hope because who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with, in this word, endurance. We eagerly wait for it with endurance. We know that there is something beyond this world. We know that there is hope beyond that we cannot see at this point. We get glimpses of it. But there's this idea of endurance. This is right at the very end of uh, Romans 8 as we get to, uh, get to this the next couple of weeks. We have wrestled with an incredibly difficult portion of Scripture today. And I don't think, as we just kind of read through it, it's, it's not that difficult. But when we start to think about what it is saying, it actually is pretty difficult. Because at the center of all of this is a recognition that there's suffering. This isn't all as it should be. There's this tension that we've talked about from the beginning. As those who are part of the family of God, we know this world isn't all that there is, but we are here now, embedded in this life for the purposes of God at this time. But it can be difficult given that suffering is so real around us. So Paul ends with this idea of enduring. We have hope, but we've got to endure. We've got the sense that there is something more, but in the meantime, as suffering is all around us, how do we respond to it? Paul would say we respond to it by endurance. Part of that is trusting God even in the middle of the uncertainty. Um, there's this, uh, this guy by the name of Dietrich Bonhoeffer, World War II. He was a, uh, was a pastor in uh, World War II, and incredible story. Actually, he's got um, a book that I've got of his, and uh, it was uh, that he he wrote while he was in prison. He's in prison uh, by the Nazis and uh, was there and eventually was hanged uh, for really for his belief in Christ. He was involved in some other things uh, at the wartime effort, uh, but his belief in Christ kept him kind of grounded in reality. And he's looking at the world around him in, in the midst of suffering. And one of, the, um, one of the poems that he wrote, it goes like this, obviously it was written in German. And so I'm not going to read it to you in German. We're going to read the, uh, the English side of it. But he, he writes this thing. It's called, Who Am I? And it's really struggling with that internal versus external. How do people see me? How does the world see me? And all of this. And he goes, Who am I? They often tell me I would step from my cell's confinement calmly, cheerfully, firmly, 
like a squire from his country house. In other words, other prisoners are looking at him and they're in awe of how he's responding to the pressures. He goes, who am I? They often tell me I would talk to my warders freely and friendly and clearly as though it were mine to command. So they're seeing him you know, interacting with the guards and somehow extending grace to them. There's a couple more stanzas and he gets to this. He goes, am I then really all that which other men tell of? Or am I only what I know of myself, restless and longing and sick, like a bird in a cage, struggling for breath as though hands were compressing my throat? So there he is internally. He sees what's on the outside. People see this outside. There's an inside turmoil within him, feeling like he is being choked by the world around him. And he ends with this question, who am I? They mock me, these lonely questions of mine. And he ends with this, whoever I am, thou knowest, O God, I am thine. In other words, folks, we are in this position where suffering is happening around us. But when we recognize who we are in Christ, just like last week, there's a confidence we can have, even as Dietrich Bonhoeffer in the middle of jail, in the middle of that. I'm going to invite you to stand to your feet here. We're a little bit long this morning. And this really is the best place for us to be. It's in a position of recognizing that we are God's. We are God's sons and daughters. This theme plays so heavily in all these sections that Paul is talking about. And uh, in this end, this hope is filled because our future is secure in him. Listen to what it says in Revelation 21. I want to leave you with this hope. He said, and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, the residence of God is among human beings. He will live among them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death will not exist anymore or mourning or crying or pain for the former things have ceased to exist. Folks, we have a hope beyond this life that we look forward to. So as we close out super quickly, go ahead and bow your heads, close your eyes for just a moment as we close out. Some of you this morning are in the midst of suffering, right? You're, you're in the middle of going, this is not all there is, right, God? Because if it is, this is miserable. And Lord, I am suffering. And you'd say, Pastor, I know I'm suffering, but I, I just, I recognize the need for that new perspective that there is hope, that there is glory beyond this. And as Paul says, that these sufferings right now won't even compare to the glories that will be revealed. Right now, you're here this morning, you say, I'm suffering and I am hurting and I just need the Lord's presence with me. Lift your hands really quickly. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Lots of hands up. Father, you see every one of these hands. God, we're all in this boat together, God. We recognize there's suffering around us, God, and we can get so, uh, so locked into focusing on that. But God, there is truly a glory that is waiting for us on the other side. And God, as Paul says that the sufferings now won't even compare to the glory that will be revealed at that time, Lord, when you return and take us to your presence. And God, we look forward to that. And so God, that final word that Paul uses in this passage, that we need to do all of this with endurance. And so God, I pray your endurance upon these, your people, that God, as we suffer, as we look at this world around us, that we recognize God, that you have empowered us by your spirits. And Lord, there is hope beyond this life. Lord, help us to walk in that confidence. Help us, Lord, to walk understanding that God, you have us in the middle of this. Lord, we love you, we praise you. 
God, I thank you that you've called us to lead the people of the valley to be more like you. And God, even in the middle of difficult circumstances, we can be more like you. And so Jesus, help us to hold to that perspective. Lord, we love you this day. God, we give you all the glory. In Jesus' wonderful name we pray. Amen. Amen. Hey, if uh, you guys need any prayer for anything, um, we'd love to pray with you. And uh, maybe you are in the middle of something just pretty dramatic in your life and you want prayer. We would love to pray with you. We'll have our staff up here as well as some of our prayer teams. God bless you guys. Thank you so much. And we will see you next week.